One, two, three, four. In this podcast, you will be here. Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader. Include, but it's not later. Talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the junk that follows this song. But hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of Vader. They are divided For equal sequel Hate and love they fight it I know that we are just musicians hired And their time is up So here's the Knights of Vader Impressive Most impressive a big thank you to An Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. It is June 17th, 2022. My name is Zach Weber. Joining me today is the Porteous with the Mortius, Chris. Happy to be here to discuss the return of on-screen Hayden Christensen. I wish we had a funny name for him like you and McDonald. Mm. And we have former KB manager Joe Yazo. Hey, how are you? Happy to be here. And we have the gentleman with the ADD that is strong with him, Zanger. Mm, it's very strong today. <laughs> All righty, folks. You can guess it. We are doing an episode right before we get that final episode of Ben Kenobi, which is what the show probably should have been called. I think it would have been better if they called it Ben Kenobi as opposed to Obi-Wan. But I guess that sweet, sweet SEO was too strong when it comes to Obi-Wan. So we are talking about parts four and five and what an interesting rebound, I would say, from those initial three parts or am I in the minority here? I think five was interesting. It was a good build up to five. This series is perfection and I will take nothing less. Wow. Wow. You must like somewhere like. 10 years ago when sci-fi channel was making movies like knock off Thor, knock off transformers, knock off battleship. You must've been losing your mind back then being like, I cannot believe that television is getting such quality material. Oh, I know. Ellie watches that stuff constantly. So <sighs> who could forget the asylums transmorphers? I, I certainly could. So did most of America, Chris. Perfect. Um, okay. This is the thing that's interesting about this is that it, Really, the only detriment I have about any of this is that it's clearly shot on a budget. Like, I don't even want to say low budget. It just feels like this is the thing I want to ask Joe. Is this the Star Wars' first step into like TNG level quality? Cinematically, that is, not narrative. Well, that's the, that's the whole thing. If you, you sit there and you look at a person who likes Star Trek, Back in the day in 1966, they were happy with the cardboard sets. You know, they were happy with seeing, what was it, the uh, the fishing line on the end of the models while they flied by. They're okay with that because nothing else was like that. You're going from a movie property to something on TV. You're obviously not going to have the budget for it. But then when you sit there, and the opposite is, is true too, is, you know, when you sit there and you look at the Star Trek show and then you see the movies later on, you're like, wow, that's an upgrade. This is almost like a downgrade because they're going to TV. You know, if if they're going to be building a world like they're trying to do, it's it's gonna that's that's the way it's gonna be. Chris, what is your take on all this? I am struggling at the moment to remember part four, but part five was pretty fun. I I just I it's it, I think the biggest thing for me is like 
and like, well, I'm sure we'll get into it a little more granularly, but it's like, it's so, it's so close to being good. It's crazy to me that how close it is to being good, but they just need to like pepper in. They just can't help but pepper in stupidity. And it's just like, it's just like, so like it's just like you could easily avoid the odd thing that you're doing here and it would be fantastic what zach what's the you know what this chapter part five really reminded me of um like i was getting like i was really strongly reminded of that uh that thrawn book that like cuts back and forth between the clone wars and the galactic civil war where it's just like on oh, alliances yeah where yeah. It just I, it just because and i mean it it's not just not just the cutting back and forth in time but the fact that it was like literally Anakin versus Vader and how he reacted in a similar situation in both periods. Right. Like it seemed like very directly comparable to that to me. And I was, I was enjoying it. So what you're saying is you're upset with good storytelling. <laughs> well, the, the, the escaping transport fake out is criminal. That's all I'm going to say for now. Oh, okay. So, so, so one, you're 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 upset with with good writing with flashbacks as opposed to bad writing with flashbacks like i don't know um boba fett even though that's kind of the best part of that show was that part that's not a show (laughs) it's a fever dream created by robert rodriguez (laughs) okay true i will say to give russ's uh credit where credit is due i like how we get flashback does again in this like there's something there's some writer in the lucasfilm like hive mind that's like we need flashbacks in the back to tank or else this will tank like seriously there must be like a market research note somewhere it's like people love it when people have flashbacks when they're swimming in like liquid milk we need this the one with this this one actually works like because it's telling they're telling cohe they're it's telling a story at the same time and it actually works unlike in boba fett where it's just kind of done just to to be done even though once again best part of that show somehow well but like this show has one book of boba fett used it as like an every episode a narrative thread and then abandoned it and we're all like, wait, but why? Because so. the healing hasn't stopped. He is all healed. Oh, now, so, so, we, so we can go focus on Mando. Got it. Yeah. Now, now I remember part four because it's the flashback to part. <laughs> well, this is the thing, though, is that obviously chapter five, I think we all would agree chapter five is the stronger episode amongst uh, the two of these. Is but it? it? Oh, it, it's the most engaging. I'd say that much. Because I think it, we're building towards something. I well, think they're secretly building and fans that are in tune are on board with what might be happening. I will present all the evidence when appropriate. I look forward to it. Um, but no, I think the whole thing is that like you go from that part three where we kind of mocked it endlessly, where we have Obi-Wan like just ducking between two piles of rubble. No, as Vader he just, was like, dashing towards high ground. Is that what it was? I it looked like a hill. <laughs> looked like something. The the point being is that the 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 ending of part 3 was kind of goofy and like you were saying it's that notion of it's clearly building towards something now. Even when it comes to Riva who now it's cl- it's clear what they were doing was grandstanding with her. She was being written to be overcompensating and grandstanding. So the, when the moment comes, she is just woefully, woefully unprepared as to what her 
when it comes to pulling the trigger on her goals. Which I will say, it kind of fell out of left. I liked it, but it fell out of left field when she's like, yeah, the whole point of all this is for me to kill Vader. And I'm like, oh, that that's what your goal has been to get, quote, close to him. And then when you have that moment at the end of part five where she's just like awkwardly like doing a Tom and Jerry where she's just like slowly creeping up on him and like has her lightsaber ignited. And it's like, girl, you just watch this guy pull a ship out of the sky and tear it apart. Like maybe this isn't the time to try to sit there, uh, back, literally backstab him. She missed that uh, FYI. Oh, did she? Yeah. I would imagine she could at least hear it. If she didn't see it, I would imagine hearing a ship be pulled out of the sky, thrown to the ground, then be physically torn apart through magic space wizard powers is something that at the very least you feel vibrations through the ground for. Nah, you're right. In fact, you, in fact, because you can hear Leia screaming throughout the entire space palace inquisitorious you're probably right sound travels very well in the star wars universe will we please broach the topic that a lot of what the series is doing is the rinse uh, rinse lather repeat of a new hope where leia gets kidnapped by the imperials they lock her away in evil space fortress only for obi-wan to come and rescue her well have you not realized that every episode represents the original six episodes of star wars even her outfits. Oh, do you, do you want me to go over this too? Oh God. Okay. Oh, first God. movie. First first movie takes place where on a desert planet where there's a child. What happens in the first what happens in the first episode takes place on a desert planet focusing on a child. Um, what happens in the second movie? Go to a ritzy deco noir future techno city. What it happened in the second episode, Zach? Hmm. Someone tried to sell someone some death sticks. I True. mean, that happened too, technically. So there's that. Uh, third episode, you have someone caught on fire in an epic duel between two characters. Please do not say the word epic. Please do not use. Please do not use the word epic in regards to uh, the quarry. Oh no, I was referring to episode three. What happened in oh. chapter three, Zach? Technically, part three, Zanger. Whatever. Yeah, yeah you plebe. Whatever. It, it's 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 like poetry. It rhymes. Um, is that what it is? Is that what they're going to be leaning into? The, so you're telling me in part, are you telling me that in part nine of this Palpatine somehow returns? Exactly. No, in part four, what happens? Oh, he saves Leia from the empire. What, what happens in, in episode four of star Wars, they save Leia from the empire. And not, not only that, but he also employs like weird force projection, sound distraction techniques. It's like it's like not only are they going to reference the movie, but he's going to like do the exact same stuff. It's like poetry; it rhymes. My favorite part of A New Hope is when Obi Wan awkwardly smuggles Leia out of the Death Star, wrapped in a trench coat, where it's blatantly <laughs> obvious to anyone who looks at it for more than two seconds. This is that the this thing. person is trying to hide something in a coat. Okay, you got one left, singer, or two left. Just finish up. Oh, oh, I mean the the next one, of course, Empire Strikes Back. You have a. I don't know. Just oh wait, that's right. Uh, them attacking a rebel base. This is getting crazy. It is. So Zenger, based on this, like, just obviously you've done five, six of this so far. What's going to happen in part six, based on the events of Return of the Jedi? Will Obi Wan pick up Vader and throw him down an endless chasm? No, because Reva is the Reva will be the Luke stand-in for Episode Four. I thought she was the Vader stand-in. Eh, whatever, I don't care anymore. 
I'm, I'm, I'm done with this Grand, analogy. Where does, where does the Grand Inquisitor like? Okay, I have to ask: Can Whoa. any character now be impaled and survive? Okay, I'm so glad you brought this up. Okay, so this chapter five, part, excuse me, part Chris, five. Chris, can you pick up that phone? What phone? The the one that I called it. Woo! Oh, yeah, <laughs> called it. I'm gonna leave a voice message. It's I called it. I was hoping it'd be a new Powan who like actually looked like a Powan, but never mind that. So here, this is so that and thanks. So that's the craziest thing. So this episode features not one, not two, but thrice someone getting directly impaled with a saber and surviving. So you have Reva as a kid, Reva as an adult, and the Grand Inquisitor evidence that he survived. So this episode three times demonstrates that being directly impaled by a lightsaber is not very fatal. But you know what is very fatal? Clutching a thermal detonator as uh, as it's about to explode. And taking out the greatest character in the series, I don't know how I'm going to be able to watch episode six without my favorite character at, from this at series. least we know the only way to actually kill a character in star wars now you have to be physically holding on to the thermal detonator as it explodes actually te- technically they could still be alive i i thought that she was going to be a love interest for obi-wan and they were going to go back to tatooine and watch over luke together i thought that oh i'm, I'm talking about the robot the robot's my favorite character no i mine too but i thought <laughs> the other one was gonna go back to Tatooine with Obi. Oh my god, is Vader gonna get the robot's parts and put it back together? That's Chewbacca's job many years later. Okay. And then and then Ned B says, you put my head on Oh, backwards. it is Ned. Okay, there. Ned I was B. trying to remember the robot's name. Okay. My favorite character. But this is the thing, though. It's like, after, again, I don't know what happened, but clearly, again, I don't know with all the impaling that's going on, but why couldn't Qui-Gon survive? Because just... Maul's actually good at it. Is no, it he was will... he was in the chest. Because it wasn't Disney, Zach. No, it, it was it was like sternum area. Like sternum. Like yeah, but right all these the... other people were right through the stomach. Eh, that's that's survivable, is, sure. It, is it the fact that just it was the are we gonna fall back on the uh time time tested thing of Star Wars where it was the will of the force? Plot armor. I'm sticking with what I've texted Zach many a times, plot armor. Some people have it, some people don't. Okay, so the okay, so is there a logical explanation for why Qui-Gon couldn't survive this and yet oh god, two thirds of our major villains in this series are just like, you know what, we're just sticking our lightsabers through anything and it's kinda because doesn't matter. Because was good at killing. And no, was, Invader isn't? He was fated to die. Oh, is that what it is? Well, not only that, vengeance. They they did say that they tapped into the dark side because they wanted vengeance on the people who who did that to them, and that's what gave them purpose to survive. Yeah. That. So they are kind of sitting there saying, you know, this little circular thing where the dark side's more powerful because, you know, they have a, their vengeance is is what is uh, feeding them. So they can live. Okay, hold on for a second. So that explanation leads me to believe that, Joe, you are not filled with cynicism by the series and are actually enjoying it. Is that true? I'm actually, actually watching it because they have an established set of characters and they're actually writing them pretty decent. And yes, I do. I do have. I am a little bit perturbed with 
with the way that the set pieces are and everything like that. But, you know, it, if it's good writing, you can sit there and forgive it. You sit there and you look at, at the book of Boba Fett, there was not good writing. And, and you can't, you know, it's, Chris, you said it before when we were going over the book of Boba Fett. If the writing was good, then these little things we wouldn't be having to worry about. Because they, they're, it's more blatant that that they're just sitting there and, and putting canned stuff in there so people would eat it just because it has Star Wars on it. So like, mm. so like, are you, like, do you view this series as like reasonably consistent episode to episode, or is there like major like ups and downs for you? I, it's consistent. I I think it's consistent. Because you sit there and you look at it, and they framed it up perfectly. When they sat there and they did the prequel synopsis on the first one, first five minutes, I was like, okay. And then next thing you know, they just went with it. And it hasn't it hasn't been, you know, it's not, in my mind, you know, child-destroying piece that Book of Bubba Fett was. Because here you are, okay, you can actually say, okay, well, Obi-Wan did go through some serious stuff back in the Clone Wars and the rise of the Empire. Wow, I am, I am, you know, I can totally see why he's like that and why he sat there and was like, told the Jedi, he was like, bury your lightsaber in the sand and try to lead a normal life. It's done. It's move on. You know, he's trying to move on. But, you know, everything else after that is, is, you know he's he's fighting his way back. He's finding himself purpose. That's that's interesting. I'm glad I'm I'm glad that you're uh, sort of the generation of fan that you are. I'm glad that you're getting as much out of this as you seem to be. I I do want to bring up what Joe is like saying because as Chris knows, I'm always fascinated with what the uh, hive mind of the people who somehow direct the narrative of all this that aren't Disney. But Red Letter Media posted a review of the first four parts of Obi-Wan Kenobi and shockingly they liked it. Like they were like – I don't want to say they were enthusiastic about it. But considering they are people that again pretty much outside – like initially they lauded The Force Awakens but then they eventually threw that over the bus. They did not like Rogue One. They like this and I'm kind of surprised. Like it's the point where I think after the one-two punch of The Mandalorian – that this is courting back those not my Star Wars fans. Like I think it's doing that for the people who hated the prequel trilogy. Do you think it's because it's unapologetically saying this is part of that sort of six film story that actually matters? Maybe. I I don't know the reason. That's something probably Joe can answer, and he's already kind of done it to some degree. But considering how many elements in this series are pulled from other like pieces of Disney-era Star Wars, I think about it. Part four is more or less the Jedi Fallen Order episode. You have oh, so much of that is act- or mirroring Jedi Fallen Order. You have Obi-Wan infiltrate the Oh God! Oh, what do you want to call it? Oh God! It's what uh, headquarters Inquisitorius through what the Imperious un- Codificus. What? I don't know. Just I'm saying Harry Potter words. Encyclopedia Copernicus. Copernicus. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is that so much of of this is echoing Disney era Star Wars. Yes, you have obviously your tried and true elements of stormtroopers, Darth Vader. 
but there really isn't a lot of just outright original trilogy stuff in this outside of what maybe Joe is going for and what he's trying to get at in that it just feels like a hokey space opera serial. See, I don't get it. It's a hokey space opera because it's it, it, I'm looking at it as a continuation of, of a series of movies and it's not rewriting the original ones. It's not showing anything new. It's not doing anything like that. Now, mind you, I did not get into Star Wars Rebels. I've seen a couple episodes. I did find that they were very good. I found that the writing was pretty decent on some of the episodes I've seen. But as far as it goes, though, it's it has been a continuation of episode three. But the thing I find the most fascinating about that is that the people who seem to hate the prequels are latching on to this. Because it's bringing it closer to the ones that they love. That's why. And it's is not it though? There. Is it it's really? Not- is there anything in this that's like, if anything, it's, I would say it's distant, not distancing, but it's kind of disenfranchising a new hope because Leia's rhetoric in the hologram projection makes it seem like she had no familiarity with Obi-Wan Kenobi. And yet clearly she's cognizant of who he is in this. She's probably she probably suffered a head trauma. And you're going to see that in episode six where she loses her memory. I think they're going to address that, Zach, and I think it's going to be incredibly ham-fisted, but I think they're going to address that. It's going to be something stupid. I don't know, because it's one of those things where it doesn't bother me. My rationalization slash headcanon is this is Ben Kenobi, not Obi-Wan. So, again, you have that moment during the uh, detention center on the Death Star where she's like, like where she sees all, Ben Kenobi. Yeah, Ben, exactly. She's like, aren't you a little short for a stormtrooper? And he's like, oh, the helmet. And he, she's, he's like, hi, I'm Luke Skywalker. I'm here to save you. And it's like, I brought, I'm here with Ben Kenobi. She's like, Ben Kenobi. And I think that's meant to be the things that she knows Ben Kenobi. And that clearly ties into sequel trilogy stuff of the fact of Han and her naming their kid Ben Solo. Clearly, you can see that there was some thought process involved with that. It wasn't just simply arbitrary. Well, the other saving grace is that she never actually talks to him on the Death Star. Well, yeah. No, there's there's no interaction between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Leia in A New Hope. Outside of her just like blankly staring across the set at the duel that's supposed to be happening. Also, has he ever been referred to as Obi-Wan Kenobi in front of her? Yes. Yes. Oh, he has? Okay, well, there goes that theory. More than once. Maybe she's just not paying attention. But she's 10. But she's also a genius, and she saves the space hangar door from not being locked shut. But they all. But guess what, though? That also ties into the whole thing about when – think about it. In Empire, when Han and all them have the Falcon falling apart, and she's able to fix part of it. So she has some engineering skills. Yeah, I, but I mean if you want to directly compare to that, it's like – how come Vader didn't just grab the Millennium Falcon? Like, why is Vader so overpowered in this don't, show? No, don't you dare! Don't be one of those nerds. Don't badmouth that. That was badass. Like, no, I can wasn't. definitely hear the, the Star Killer yeah, no. part of Zenger's brain be like, "Yeah, okay, all right, it's time, it's time." You all called this forward. Here's what's going on right now. They are slowly divvying out the return of Star Killer, Galen Merrick, Star Killer. Why? What was the best scene from the from episode four, Chris? What was the obvious best scene? You mean a hallway of, of Jedi in amber. 
You mean part four? The best action scene. I don't. I don't remember the direct reference. Uh, uh, okay, Air Zach, what was the best attacking action? a black platform. Joe, I don't know what you're. The obvious answer that our fans are violently yelling at their phones or whatever they're listening to this on is, of course, the scene where the lights go out and the only thing that's visible is a lightsaber, freaking. Knocking the crap out of some stormtroopers. What is that an homage, obviously, to? Force Awakens 2 trailer, of course, where they have Galen Mary captured, lights go out, he comes, knocks out all the stormtroopers. Perfect symbolism there. Yeah. What is an. Hmm? Unleashed. Uh, yeah. If, yeah. What am I saying? Although, I don't care, anyways. Although I do like the idea of Force Awakens 2. <laughs> like so, so, fast forward to this episode. What does Vader do in this episode, Zach? He, he, he pulls a ship out of the sky, just like a certain, like, like, a certain Sith apprentice. Yes. Ray already did it. But did she rip open the sides like a quick time event from? She technically electrocuted it, which was far more devastating. Like. Unlimited power. Like. <laughs> That's not from canon. Force Unleashed. Also, one of those lightsabers looks oddly like Starkiller's. Which one? I don't know one of them. It's the one to the left anymore? of the box. <laughs> yeah, the one to the left of the box. Stage left or stage right. I don't know. But all of this evidence points towards one thing. They are slowly preparing us for the return of canon Starkiller. The Vader had a secret apprentice this entire time. Yeah, sure. Why not? Would well, you he- be so- Would you be so- okay, Hansa? Can I, can I please just piggyback off Zenger's assertion for a moment and just kind well, of I'm get not hit- done. I am stopping for questions. Okay, I'm going to uh, respond. I'm not going to question it. I'm going to respond to it. Oh, Zenger, wow. Zenger, how would you feel that at some point? Oh man, it's it's a Cara Dune beer cozy that Chris is holding up to the to the camera right now. That someone gleefully gave me at celebration. But continue. Oh, that is 100 percent unlicensed. No questions asked. Um, okay, Zenger, how would you feel that in the Ahsoka series? That like depending on how successful that is, we get like Ahsoka during the original like the Galactic Empire, and one of her missions is Anakin's Padawan against Vader's apprentice, and that's like a whole like like that's like season two of Ahsoka. It's an entire flashback season. That could work if the especially if they get the guy that that that, that mo capped him because he's still around. Yeah, yeah he is, and he he's looks the voice ex- of Darth Maul. Yeah, yeah. he's. He's 100% just sitting there waiting for his moment in the sun. I'm, I'm not saying you need the overpowered Starkiller. I just want a character named Galen Merrick, codenamed Starkiller, in canon again. Just and that, and guess what? And Because he was so powerful, that's why the First Order decided to name the planet-killing weapon after it. Bum, bum, okay, bum, bum, bum. All right. But, but my other question is this. So... Let's go over Vader's plan here. Because if there is one issue with this, it's Vader's plan in this episode. So Vader's plan is the is he plays right in Obi-Wan's hand, but for some reason is dragging along the Inquisitor the entire time, just in case he needs to reveal that the Inquisitor is alive. No, he just he just got out of a back to tank about five minutes earlier, saying it was just convenient timing also do i i want to also point out the fact that vader doesn't even see 
her as enough of a threat to ignite his own lightsaber. This That's- is this is why I'm saying he's overpowered. Like Reva is clearly a better, uh, a more formidable lightsaber dueling opponent than Luke Skywalker in the Empire Strikes Back. He is just she? holds his hand out and stops her from doing anything. Okay, I think the I, the notion of comparing the confrontation between Vader and Reva at the end of part five to the Empire Strikes Back duel is not exactly a one-to-one comparison. Is I Vader think, supposed to be disabled in some way by the time of the Empire Strikes Back? Like, no, why? No, is he, no I, think, I think what it is is that in Empire, Vader is laying a very specific trap for Luke. Um, Vader has infinite more amount of knowledge of the situation than Luke does. He doesn't and, perform much better in Return of the Jedi, to be fair. I, but I think at that point, Vader's severely conflicted in Return of the Jedi. I think Vader realizes is is having that – again, it's the Luke thing in that where he goes, I can sense your I, – again, I, I don't have the exact line of dialogue in front of me. But it's the notion of Luke says numerous times that Vader has – it senses the conflict in him. I, and, wait, I – Zach, I actually have the dialogue in front of me. Okay. Do, do, do you do you want it? It's um, he doesn't want to kill Luke. It's fine. I get it. No, 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 no. The the dialogue is Palpatine's alive somehow. <laughs> Truly, the greatest line of dialogue in cinematic history. No, but the point is that I, in Empire, Vader is doing all of this to lure his son to to to. to being again we don't know I, I would imagine at some point we will get a comic or a book that elaborates on what vader's plan was during uh, cloud city explicitly like beat by beat but yeah, i think the whole trying to he's trying to get luke to join him well yeah and i think the whole thing at the end with reva is that like oh again it's that equivalent of being that person that has forgotten more about the thing that you're good at than the your opponent will ever know and so vader just like oh look at what this tt fly is doing and the fact the grand inquisitor was there was again vader is trying to draw her out again i I know Vader never ever took the Inquisitor seriously. They were there to be their dogs they're, they're, on the they're hunt. They're tools. Well, yeah, they they were dogs on the hunt. They were there to kind of weed out the kill. And and like I said, and most of what Vader does in the comics and books is he's more concerned about bringing Padme to life, back to life. He's really he only gets involved with hunting Jedi when the situation gets kind of catastrophically out of hand. Because even what in the um oh god the Crimson Dawn thing with Kira, like occasionally he'll wander into the under, like the seedy underbelly stuff if he has to. But like when he's left alone, he's more or less concerned with bringing Padme back to life. I first of all, I appreciate that you're keeping up with the comics that much. I haven't been watching the like the Crimson Rain or whatever it's called stuff. Um, but so like if I think the mo- by the time we see part six, the most ironic thing in this whole show will be like Vader making a Palpatine level mistake when like in chap in part three, okay, they shouldn't be switching between calling these shows chapters and parts. Like that's on them. It should be called <laughs> chapters, but anyways, um, in 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 a uh, part three, he says to Obi Wan, "You should have killed me when you had the chance." Hello, Vader. Finish off Reva. She's going to be a pain in your backside in about five minutes. Well, that I there has got to be something in Episode six that leads to the line, 
when I left you, I was but the learner. Now I'm the master. That was in five, man. What? That was in five at the at the end of the at the end of the flashback. Obi Wan says to Anakin, "Until you figure that lesson out, you're always going to be a Padawan." Yeah, and that's going to happen in this, which leads him to still have that line in New Hope with him. Showing always, him that he's moved yeah. beyond that even. I mean, th- people talk a lot about the line, when I left you, I was but a learner, now I am the master. I mean, it's a great he, line. Yeah, it's great. But when he left him was was episode three. So like, it, it's not really relevant to this series. But I think Disney thinks that dumb fans think it's relevant to this series. So they're going to like over explicitly state why. And it can slash Vader still feels like, subordinate to obi-wan in some way and i think that was in part five here i don't think it's necessary that they need to address it because it says when i left you he left him in episode three so i think chris just got away with calling all the rest was on this episode stupid i i okay again it boils down to the question it it boils down to it is this series is this is this a story that needs to be told Yes. No, there's nothing. There's nothing in this story that absolutely needs to be told. We're like, oh, wow. Like, again, look at Rogue One. Rogue One is the story that needs to be told. No, but it's a fun enough, pulpy enough film where you're like, yeah, like it doesn't detract from anything. This is just again, it's it's glorified filler. It's entertaining filler. But I don't think this is going to fundamentally alter the way we perceive Star Wars. And it's not meant to. I, do. I I know, but that but it's like any it's like any story though. Like it's filler. Then I do want to go around the room real quick because I think I have a thing that everyone can agree on, and everyone who's watched this show, I think, will also agree with this. Is Disney Star Wars handling Vader correctly? They Zach. they they okay. Rogue One, yes. Rebels, yes. Um sequel trilogy melted helmet sure <laughs> actual vader not weird prop prop not prop um not, not prop vader um i i would say in this it's questionable until we get that part six i'm going to say the jury is out on a final conclusion based on what i've seen This feels like a very different Vader than what we've seen in, again, Rebels and in Rogue One. Because we've never seen Vader like with uh, like around public and everything. And this is why he gets this whole fear thing. Joe, you are is Disney era Star Wars handling Vader correctly? Yay or nay? In this particular case, yes, they are, because this is this is what he's this is the person that made him the person he is right then and there. He is on a he is on vengeance. He's vengeful right now. Why do you think he had? Why do you think he had enough power to pull down a a transport? Because he wanted Obi Wan. That's what he wants. That is the one thing that's he's not going to stop until he gets him. And that's why I think if anything that they are going to try and patch through is why they, he stepped on the rope. Something's going to happen, and that's why he steps on the rope in Episode Four because he wants to make sure that he's gone. Chris, is yeah. Disney era Star Wars handling Vader correctly? Yes or no? It's not egregious, but I'm going to go no. And it's because this is, listen, you, 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 if you watch A New Hope, like Vader barely cares that Obi-Wan's are even around. Like he's like, yeah, sure, I'm going to kill him. 
but like he's he's like oh he doesn't even remember he senses his presence and he's not even sure whose presence it is he's like yeah i don't know it's not feeling mildly familiar it's like if you factor in this series and the way it's being presented he's not unsure whose presence he's feeling when the millennium falcon docks on the death star he's immediately driven to figure out that it's obi-wan and it's just like he's just like literally the way he says a presence i've not felt since yeah i don't know i'm gonna go to the cafeteria like that's literally the attitude you get and it's like this series is placing a lot of importance on that and i think he's overpowered and i don't think he should be pulling ships out of the sky i think that here's a hot take like just to show that i'm not just fully resigned to everything during the lucas era was great and the disney era is nonsense like i remember being slightly perturbed by the fact that star killer could pull a star destroyer out of the sky and it was supposed to be canon that mildly bothered me because that was an act that was so far beyond anything that happened in the six movies through the force that it's like this is out of proportion with the story that actually matters. And I, I, it's just like, if Vader's going to let the Falcon get away, he shouldn't be pulling these ships out of the sky. And the literally, oh, I'm sorry. It was a ship just behind the ship that he grabbed. And it got away because what? He's like a little bit winded from grabbing the first ship. I thought that was a bit rough. It looked a bit cartoonish. The ship didn't look very real. He used up his special bar. <laughs> Just like when he put out the fire the first time, he couldn't do it twice in a row, right? Yeah, exactly. He used his special move. He had to wait for a rest or for him to use his uh, an elixir. Yeah, the power was on the cooldown. I get, I get. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think Joe brings up a good point with with his whole thing with this with this version of Vader. I like it, Chris. You are entitled to have your own opinion, Zach. Thank you. It's just, I'm just saying Vader's just like a dude in, in A New Hope, you know? Like, Leia sees him, oh, Darth Vader, only you could be so bold. It's like, she's seen him on TV, like, like doing, he's, she's seen him in the Senate, but, like, being an idiot. Like, it, 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 she's not even su- surprised to see him. She's like, oh, this idiot, of course, that's who literally just pulled over my car. Like, it's, she's not impressed to see him. And it's like. He like they in this show, it's like always oh, secret. Nobody knows who he is. He's not doing public statements and all that. And a new hope. He's clearly a government official. So I, I, I you know, I don't think they're perfectly representing him I according to the original is, trilogy. I think he's more in line with how he is in like Lords of the Sith and stuff like that, where he basically just falls out of a Star Destroyer, freaking knocking out ships and doing a ton of stuff that is ridiculously over the top. And this is showing that, yeah, he's capable of doing that still. There's a re- And the comics do a good job of that, too. Like I said, it's creating why Vader was so imposing and why he, like, certain things he feels are beneath him or the fact that he did just mess up an entire squad of rebel troopers on the ship out of just la-di-da, whatever. What do you even need a tractor beam in A New Hope for? Vader could just stick his head out the window and just grab the Tantive Four. <laughs> also, I do want to point out, Chris, you, you create a perfect robot chicken sketch of Vader leaving, him being in the cafeteria going, I haven't felt a presence. It like, just shows him in different spots around the Death Star, and then, and then he just walks into the 
to the um to the council room and Tarkin's in there. He's like, since my master was with me, and Tarkin's like, what, what, what? Literally, literally, he he becomes in on camera. He becomes indifferent, trails off, and walks away, and then goes to the cafeteria, goes and does a goes and does a um a, a public speaking. All, all thing, that's missing, and then shows up with Tarkin just sitting in that room and starts talking at Tarkin. All, all that's Tarkin's missing, like what's going on? What are you talking about? All that's missing is him like snapping his fingers before he starts talking to Tarkin. It's like no, that's it, it, what it, it was. Cut, it cut right. After that happened, like a second after he snaps his fingers and goes, my master, Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan Kenobi, literally the whole motivation for my existence uh, and and destructive tendencies I forgot about. I don't. OK, I, I think we're being a little too cynical here. I, we, again, it, it's all up to yes. Well, you're you're being what's the word uh, farcical with it. One's being cynical, those being farcical. The thing is, is, is that, and again, this is all up for interpretation now. But what it comes down to is that it's that idea that think about it on in a New Hope. I remember even one of the first times I was probably the first time I was ever on Zengness for the the Star Wars A New Hope episode. Where it was like, oh, name your top three was. favorite moments. Yes, Zenger, we're doing a deep cut to like five years ago. Oh, and, God, this is going to be so long ago. <laughs> and so Zenger's going to look up the exact like uh, episode number because he doesn't remember. I, I am. It, it Nope, that was before Zygnus was – um that the Star Wars episodes were not numbered, which throws off the count of Zygnus permanently. Yes. The point being is that when you have that moment when the Millennium Falcon shows up in the Death Star and Vader goes, I sense a presence I've not sensed since – and like he walks away, I think he's supposed to be, I don't want to say spooked, but it's like one of those things. It's the equivalent of, think about it, like you handled a very significant issue in your life nearly 10 years prior. And oh God, th this thing that you thought you dealt with is coming back. And, and it's something you've not felt since X. And then you combine that with his conversation with Tarkin and you also kind of now just sprinkle in Star Wars lore and that by this point in continuity – the Inquisitors are gone. Like they're more or less wiped out. And because there's really no more Jedi floating around. Like the whole point is that like as much as we laugh, like Kanan's dead. Ezra is presumed off the grid. Ahsoka is doing something. She her her she's kind of in the void, so to Wait, speak. Are you saying right now or during New Hope? During a New Hope. Okay, sorry, I was distracted by reading and, old and, and, But think, but think about though. Even as of now, June seventeenth, twenty twenty two, in Disney's whatever they're doing with Star Wars, how many Jedi are operating, confirmed operating in the time span of oh god, the 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 destruction of Alderaan? It's Obi Wan, it's Yoda. And obviously they're hiding behind the rhetoric for Ahsoka of I'm not a Jedi. Beyond that, there's really – I don't think any other definitively confirmed Jedi operating. And so when Tarkin makes the comment of their order is long gone, I think it's that notion of what? Like they're supposed to be what? At the height of their power during the, um, the prequel trilogy or the Clone Wars, there's 10,000 Jedi. So assume that even if 1% were able to survive, that's what, 100, give or take, floating around? So in the span of 20 years, with the Inquisitors kind of weeding them out here and there, you would assume that there's maybe three or four in existence left. And so when Tarkin's like, well, wouldn't he be dead by now? Especially if Vader's imperial what documentation of this would have been, I killed him nine years earlier. 
So that's that's what I'm thinking. I clearly something has to happen at the end of part six where Vader thinks he kills Obi Wan, and, and I and think that's the whole alone. point of. And we haven't really discussed it yet. The the, uh, the training montage between you and McDonald and Hayden Christensen, in that Obi Wan's going to realize at some point in part six the it's going to be the uh, the the line he says once the stormtroopers walk over the smuggling bins and the Millennium Falcon. There are alternatives to fighting, and I think he's going to do some sort of spiritual sleight of hand to make Vader think that he wins in order for – because otherwise Vader's never going to let this go. Vader's a dog with a bone. He, he does not – he's never going to let go of this. So how do you beat – it's like how do you beat the boogeyman? You can't. You just can fight him to a draw, and I okay. think that's going to be the, the conclusion to all this, or at least season one allegedly. So to answer your question, Zach – Star Wars special, A New Hope, released July 19th, 2017. And this shows I actually cared about writing the blurbs back then. Zinger, Ellie, and Zach from Star Wars Junk Podcast. So there's oh, a that's, deep. That's that not is, a name I haven't heard in a long time. That that cuts so deep, I'm pretty sure we hit bone. Are oh, carrying yeah. the plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star. Can they get them to the Rebels and restore freedom to the galaxy? Join them on their journey into a galaxy far, far away. And to show this is really dated, big thanks to Zach. <laughs> this is when Zenger didn't realize he was a hostage yet. No, I did not. He was in the oh, like God. in like the early phase. Uh, what was it? What would it be the, um, oh God, uh, the Patty Hearst thing where he didn't realize he was already one of us. I, I was about to say the the um, Stockholm syndrome, where, where now I've just become oh, cynical. Yes. But okay, Joe, what do you think of all this? Does it? I guess the question is, does any of that matter? No, <laughs> it doesn't. It seriously doesn't. Now, it, there's a lot of things that that I've been seeing, and I think might happen. Um, you still have the Qui Gon Jinn, where it could be. That Anakin's going to be not Anakin, but Vader's going to be facing Qui Gon Jinn. That is not going to happen. One hundred and fifteen percent. That will not happen. He disappears, and he thinks he kills Obi Wan. Have you guys been seeing these rumors of an hour and a half long wrong time yes. of chap part six? Yes. yes. Yeah. I'm so excited and cannot wait to have to wake up at like two a.m. to watch. But it. the one thing I would say is I don't think that they would end it like that if they were going to end it i think they're going to string it along a little bit more if they're going to get a second season out of it i think I, it, think I think it has to be written as if there is no season two they'll be able to shoehorn a season two but i think it has to be written like here's your quagon appearance here's obi-wan faking his death if there's a season two it can't involve vader in the same way i don't then think it will they might be saving maul for that well okay wait, it's funny joe because I was thinking about that because obviously after you've done the uh, Darth Vader season one villain thing, who else do you go to who's still operating at this time period? And again, if you think of Obi-Wan's confrontation with Maul in the desert on, on uh, Tatooine and Rebels, it's pretty much just like, oh God, look what you've become. Look what I've risen above. They could very easily have met again the same way again. Chris knows and so does Zenger. When, when Maul was coming back in Clone Wars, everyone was just like, ugh, ugh, ugh. And, and they handled that pretty well. Yeah. 
Because it wasn't in the main con- continuity. It was. It, well, it, the point it wasn't being, part of that, the Skywalker saga, I would say. You know, it alluded to it. Yeah, you had Obi-Wan Kenobi in it, and it was one episode, and then, and then they off the guy. And he sounded but, funny. Yeah. But it's uh, as far as it goes, it, it's, you know, what was it? Uh, like a, not even a two-minute battle you know what they should recommend you um like they i wish they would get crazy with disney plus and like after you watch like certain things they recommend you like random episodes of the clone wars and rebels that are like plot relevant to the movie you just watched like no one's gonna sort through rebels to find that twin sons episode like unless like none of the none of the um filthy casuals shall we call them are going to sort through these uh, series to find these episodes but it's like if you want to know what happened to darth maul after solo a star wars story uh it's in these handful of episodes of rebels you know what i mean like it'd be fun if they'd recommend stuff like that because no one's going to find it so you're talking about what comic books do where it pops up to where it's like for more on what's going on here to find out what happened with so-and-so make sure to go read blah 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 blah. buy these trade paperbacks yeah that's what i want Perfect. Awesome. So we we know what we can do. Since Amazon has that x-ray thing, Disney needs to have a other stuff you need to buy that we do. Well, every episode, after you watch every episode of Obi-Wan, it recommends that you watch The Phantom Menace. I kind of love that. I kind of, I'm not going to lie. I kind of love that where it's just like, yeah, just start from. It's like imagine somebody like, oh, God, seeing a Harry Potter movie. And it's like, yeah, just Philosopher Stone it. <laughs> Zenger laughed. I, I did that on purpose to hear Zenger laugh. I did that on purpose because Ellie went to go see crimes of or s- secrets of what? what? Whatever it is. Did it finally what? happen? It's, um... Yeah, she went and watched it and was like, it was good. And I immediately started questioning a lot of things in my life. Did, did, did you ask her what happens when a magic deer picks the president? She was not happy that I blurted that out immediately. She's like, you're just saying that and you didn't even see it. It's It's different if you see it. And I'm like, I doubt it. It's almost like when they put a gopher predicting the start of summer on the news every year. Whoa, whoa, whoa. that's different. That at least. How is that different? (laughs) That's different because the mayor of New York drops it at one point and kills the poor little rodent. This is, this is. But you don't think they have extra rodents on standby? So they can sit there and be like, well, this is his cousin Murray. Oh, that that was a very appropriate name. Zanger, when we get in the Crimes of Grindelwald episode of Zangless. Uh, when I watch it, which will be never. Yeah, I, I watched Singer. it like over, I watched it like over someone's shoulder, like every like two, like two seconds every fifteen minutes recently, and like I was mildly engaged. But you know, um, as far as Harry Potter, it's Sorcerer's Stone. As far as I'm concerned, triggered school boards be damned. Oh boy! Oh boy! Speaking of uh, school boards and triggers, very interesting choice of words right there. What did we think of the disclaimer in front of part five? I didn't see it because someone who siphons off my Disney Plus account already watched it. And maybe that's why. But I didn't see it at all. all right. I saw it and I was like, oh, I'm going to watch stuff that's trigger. I, it, I understand there was flashbacks and stuff like that. And they don't know who watches it. Like kid wise so they're trying to make sure to play nice with that whole situation because of course any child who sees that warning won't immediately get more focused on what's about to happen 
we were that kid at one point and purposely seeking out offensive material. Um, but I, d- I did jackass stunts. I will admit it. I, because I, they told me not to. I think the I think you know it's nice to have a POV of being stabbed by Anakin. That's good. List the things I need in my life. <laughs> right, but but I mean it's weird though, right? Because like on one level you have some of the most graphic violence in the entire Star Wars saga. On the other level, you have stuff like Roken. Roken is a cartoon character. The rebels in the Disney era, with the exception of Rogue One, are cartoon jerks. Like Roken is a Last Jedi rebel. Like he's he like he, he like they his dialogue is very generic. The problems he has to encounter are so, are solved by an elementary school child. Uh, he, he he's not very you know he doesn't look like he's having a rough day. Like look at General Riken. This guy's like he's worn out. He's like sixty. Like he's got bags under his eyes. Like he's been just having a rough time. Rogan's just like he's too clean. Like he looks like a like one of those Galaxy's Edge like pedestrians or something. Like he doesn't fit, like he doesn't seem like it's not like I don't feel threatened by the Empire when Rogan's like, oh the door just closed. What are we gonna do about that? And then you have uh, what's his name, Camille Nanjiani or something like that. Guy's a cartoon character. None of you guys are actually worried about the fact that the Empire is on their doorstep and it bothers me. They don't seem genuinely concerned. Obi-Wan kind of does, but the rebels and our lead rebel characters are, they're rather blase about the fact that they're right about to be assaulted. Even, uh, sorry, what's, um, our lead. I don't can't even remember the character or the actress's name. Obi-Wan Kenobi played by Ewan McDonald. No, no, no. The, uh, suicide, uh, thermal detonator lady. Hala. She, you know, they're they're on the doorstep. They're in the atmosphere, and she takes ten minutes to have this like heart to heart with Obi Wan. Like none of them are worried about what's right about to happen. So I'm just gonna point this out. So there's a star destroyer in in low planetary orbit, right? We didn't get a look at it, right? We didn't see it from the outside. We saw the bridge. No, 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 no. We we did not, but. Correct me, there is a Star Destroyer in low planetary orbit, yes or no? What I was wondering is, that bridge looks an awful lot, lot like the bridge from The Empire Strikes Back, and Reva's like, it's an honor to be aboard, sir. So, like, is this, like, the executor? No, it's not. Super Star Destroyers were not implemented yet. We're going to have to fact check that. You want me to fact check a, a Star Destroyer-related fact, Zach? I will do By that momentarily. The other thing I'll fact check right now is there's this thing called Orbital Bombardment. That place was not shielded. Why did they not just go boom, freaking level the place? Because then it would be hard to stamp on Kenobi's uh, cloak to make sure that he wasn't hiding inside it. Vader didn't have his heart in this. If he had his heart in it, he would have overkilled. Anyways, I'm going to research. He wanted Kenobi to suffer. And it leads back to the episode, the part three or chapter three or whatever denomination of numbers we want to use for this. He wants him to suffer. And that's what that's what it is. He wants to break him. So orbital bombardment is not going to make sense to a guy that just wants to see him die. You know what Thrawn would have done? Order bombardment. Would have solved that problem real quick. But this isn't Thrawn. 
Exactly. This is this is bumbling. Like, this Vader. is the problem. They should have made a Thrawn TV series, not an Obi Wan Kenobi TV series. Zinger, you know who did an effective effective over orbital bombardment was Darth Malak against Terrace. Ooh, deep cut. Knights of the Old Republic. I don't. Chris just said a bunch of words. I have no idea what they mean. He did. Got to play it. Got to play it to know it. Zach. It's almost like when you're not doing a contrived Disney Plus series that like relatively reasonable military tactics are employed in a narrative context. <laughs> okay, getting back to the point I originally asked, never got an answer to. What do we think of the whole idea that we have a Star Wars show that begins with a disclaimer? And once again, like the idea of Anakin at the Jedi Temple, just like mowing through people. That's not really a novel thing in Star Wars. It's been part of the cult. Got near what to the Super Star Destroyer. Okay, can we, okay, okay. Peanut Gallery, just hold on. Go, go, go ahead. I, I'll, I'll wait. I'll wait patiently. <laughs> Thank you, Zanger. Um, the point being is that, like, I, I get it. Uh, current events, blah 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 blah. But Anakin mowing down a bunch of children. Is something that's been part of the Star Wars like fabric for what seventeen years now? Yes, but in Episode Three, it is very deliberately presented as a few seconds of a hologram, not anything super visceral. But then, but this is the question, though. Then why do they feel they have to explicitly show it? I well, it, it's interesting that you sort of create that contrast because I think this series is doing something that a lot of the other Disney Star Wars stuff hasn't paid attention to, which is when, when Lucas was making the prequels, there was a few things that he purposely avoided so that if you watch them in chronological order, certain things in the original trilogy will still have their sort of full impact. One was the first-person cockpit POV of hyperdrive being engaged. It never happens in the prequels. You see ships sort of blast off into a, a vanishing point, but you don't see it from like a first person perspective because he wanted to save that for when the Falcon first leaves Tatooine. Um, if you watch them in order, maybe you're thinking about Zenger's thinking about that for the first time, but they don't show it first person in the I prequels. Where they show it. Maybe it's them coming out of hyperspace. In the prequels, they don't show it first person because I swore they did in. Um, they show behind. One. No, they, don't. they show the behind view. They yeah, they don't. don't. It. Uh, it's very explicit. Uh, it's if you watch. I don't know. I got it from one of the DVD behind the scenes where they s- literally state we're not doing this because. Anyways, um, but another instance is the Imperial March. It's it, basically that's the reason why you. That's part of the reason why you probably hear the Trade Federation theme when Obi Wan first sees the clones, <laughs> because they they want to they didn't want to water down the impact of watching these films in chronological order, and I think some of that care is being paid in this Kenobi series where you don't. Uh, you, I think that's why you don't see. I don't think that's why you don't even see a Star Destroyer from the exterior, to be honest, because they want the beginning. No, you do. Do you? Because uh, yeah, you do. Because it's a. It's um episode four. Yeah, episode four because that mirrors. No, wait, it's this episode. It's episode five. I don't recall seeing a star destroyer enter the okay. uh, the Jabin system. 
Okay, give me two seconds. Let me check something, and then I'll get back. I, I, I am doing zanger, so much zanger. research. Okay, as somebody who's watching the episode in real time, pulling a zanger, I'm looking at it. It's not – it's – you see a little bit of it. It's not as grandiose as, like – Think Rogue One, where we have like the like the dozen Death Stars floating around the Death Star, or the intro of A New Hope. Yeah, it's not that. Like you, you do get a shot of when they deploy the troop transports from the underbelly of it. Um, it's brief, but it's there. My, my main my point is that they they care that if you watch episode one, two, and three, this is like they're like they're treating it like perhaps you might watch this between trilogies in chronological order so they're trying to not burn stuff that is shown for the first time in the original trilogy so what you're saying is you should watch four five and six first like a human i mean of course you should but we can't expect the general populace to behave like human singer yeah you could also have somebody eat cereal in a disgusting manner (laughs) with water instead of milk no, pouring in the milk first then the cereal zinger what if you pour in the water first then the cereal Okay, so <laughs> kudos to kudos to Chris. The scene I was thinking of is where they go to Coruscant, and it's where you see the behind the shoulder where they're actually on the planet. Because it does not. I don't think there's a single shot of any kind of Star Destroyer in this whole show so far. Okay, now to go research that. But there, I, is, I, a Star, there is an exterior Star uh, Star Destroyer shot. It's not. It's the ship from the underside. I know that much. Okay. Because I physically just watched it a minute ago. Perfect. Okay, but this is the thing I want – okay, bringing back up Order 66 and the whole thing with Reva and, and Anakin is that during the Mandalorian – what was it? Season 2 where we had the thing where like, oh, Big Whiskey survived like the assault on the temple. And we and we have all that and I said – and we see the, obviously the 501st Stormtroopers approaching wherever he's being hidden. And yet – and I said, like, oh, wouldn't it have been cool if we got to see Darth Vader at that – well, Anakin Darth Vader at that moment tying this all in? And they pretty much give that to us in this part where we actually get to see Darth Vader walking around the Jedi Temple being flanked by 501st Stormtroopers, like entering a hallway. And it's 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 interesting in that, like you said, Chris, they're explicitly painting a picture of something that I don't know. It's like – if you had to give like again notes on what Star Wars fans wanted to see during the Obi Wan Kenobi series, I don't know if anybody really wanted to see more of Hayden Christensen at the temple slaughtering Jedi. I saw it saying they hoped they would see that, and they got it. It's not just something that like, okay, I'm tired of getting called out by Chris. On no, I'm joking. I never said that. I don't know. Like, I'm not against it. Like, I think it's interesting. Again, the whole idea of Order 66 is becoming this rather morbid curiosity within Star Wars continuity because Disney loves to highlight this, man. Whether it be, oh, God, the Bad Batch, Jedi Fallen Order, this now, the and uh, Grogu during, uh, correction, Mandalorian season three pilot featured during the Book of Boba Fett. They clearly like Order 66 is like this weird fixed point in Star Wars continuity. Like it's it's almost becoming the equivalent of uh, – was it uh, BBY, ABY? Almost every form of media features this in some capacity. Never mind. Lord knows what the comics has done. It's kind of a better – I mean 
it's hard to get out of the BBY ABY like mindset, but it's kind of a better reference point than uh than than that just because it's like what is Disney's labeled it Empire Day? I believe they even explicitly state that in Rebels, right? Well, yeah, there's Empire Day, but at the same time, too, like that that never really took. I think. Okay, that, go ahead. I got the answer to the Star Destroyer, Super Star Destroyers. They were not made till after the Death Star was destroyed because Grand General Cassio, who's one of the people in the meeting room during the Death Star, refers to it. And I quote, I look at the state of the Empire and think how many Super Star Destroyers could we have made? with the resources we threw into Tarkin's Folly, referring to the Death Star. So it was after the Death Star was made. Also, can you imagine what uh, 22... Can you imagine what the 22 I've saved would add up to... would add up to the Chimera's defenses or the Fire Drakes or the new Super Dreadnought class Lord Vader is pushing for? This was a statement by a Grand Admiral made to Grand Admiral Thrawn, thereby prior to the creation of, during the creation of the Death Star. The Super Star Destroyers were implemented after the Death Star was destroyed. I'm not even sure if there was ever more than one Super Star Destroyer in canon. There is multiple there are, there Super Star Destroyers. There are, because at oh, one wait. point, okay, okay, hold on, Zanger, 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 calm you, but, okay. Zanger looks so exasperated. I've never seen Zanger this this flustered about a Star Wars topic before. Listen, um, I, I know the name of Darth Vader's Super Star Destroyer. <laughs> is there any other in canon? That, like, yes. I don't know. In, in the Aftermath trilogy, they actually almost like do like a bullet point list of how many existed at one point and how many currently exist post Endor. Yep. And and there's some that have really stupid stuff that happened to them too. Um I know that there's the Ravit the Ravager's the one that's on Jakku. Mm-hmm. The one that crashes down to Jakku. That's the Ravager if I remember correctly. Well the one they show in the movie is not a super star destroyer, so I wouldn't have known yeah, that. Yeah they do. Yeah, they do. There's, there's one that's super... upside down on, like, that's the one that Ray and Finn fly into to, like, evade the yeah. Tie Fighter. Okay, it's upside down. My bad. <laughs> okay, to break. Okay, as much as I find uh, Star Destroyer talk uh, titillating, I just want again steer away real quick from that. So, do we have to? Yes. So the oh. point it has nothing to do with Obi Wan Kenobi. So one thing I want to ask, and this is something that we're going to ask uh, Mister Yazo. Is that what did you think of the Hayden Christensen Obi Wan sparring match of training? It actually pertained to the the story that they were telling. I liked how they had the certain Thank you. flashbacks too, because it was it was all based on the situation, and it's it's almost like they were both remembering it at the same time, their last sparring session. Here's he my qu- this arm. is the thing. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, probably one of the best things that, oh God, when it comes to a, a quote unquote member berry moment that actually enhances the story, not just as this particular series, but to Star Wars as a whole. And now this is the question I have for Chris. Why that one? Well, it's, it's a bunch of it's one scene cut up and then inserted into different moments throughout this episode. But this is my thing, Chris. That one sequence 
put stitched together does more of a job of laying out Obi-Wan and Anakin's relationship than probably their entire interaction in both Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith combined. Completely disagree. Really? I, I think that like, you, like if we're looking at it from a canonical perspective, this interaction is very basic compared to the Clone Wars, for example. I don't... Not the Clone Wars. The movies. I'm talking about episodes uh, okay, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. I, th- I, I just think it's like it's it, it the way in which they're sort of combative and antagonistic towards each other is kind of basic and s- serving to the plot of this episode. I uh, my biggest reaction to like I see a lot of people saying, "Oh my god, Anakin looks 50 in this in this scene. What the heck's going on?" I think they de-aged him some or else it would have been like really noticeable. But let's let's rein ourselves in a little bit. Like Hayden Christensen is like 40. He's not 50. Okay. So like, like settle, settle down guys. I think it looked okay. It was passable. I've already seen the like younger deep fakes uh, within two days on YouTube. It's crazy. I, I don't think the fidelity of those can hold up to like a decent 4k presentation. You guys should all just calm down. That didn't bother me. This, the presentation of it didn't bother me. I, when they do little things like when Anakin says, I admit you are beaten, he's referencing Vader's lines in Re- Return of the Jedi. Like, I see what you did there, Disney. You're trying to blend the James Earl Jones and the Hayden Christensen dialogue. It's like, make it sound like it's the same guy talking. That's great. But I just, it, it's the, the, the point of the scene seemed a little self serving and it felt it felt too can contained in its, in its scale. It's like, Oh, Oh great. So they're in a 20 foot by 20 foot circle. And that's our prequel flashback. It's not the battle of Christophsis. You know what I mean? It's a room. Well, don't, don't, don't get me too excited now. It's a room, you know, it's a circle. Well, that's, it's a okay. Ton- but this is, this is where I'm willing to forgive the limited budget and scope of this show, because think about it. Within the continuity of this show, we've already seen that level of like Jedi training, like, oh God, gymnasium, if you want to call it that. And we saw that in the first moments of the series during Order 66. And then if you even combine that with our moments that we always – in the prequels when we saw the Jedi Temple. The Jedi Temple sequences in the prequels feel very similar outside of maybe the council to – everything in this show and just that you can tell everything's green screen how about the time but it's just the the idea of going audacious with the cgi like you know when obi-wan and yoda go back to the temple to set off the beacon people because it's like two seconds and like one of the most insane movies ever made people forget the fact that there's this sequence where obi-wan and yoda are killing clones like literally on the street in front of the jedi temple like in broad daylight they're literally just like rocking up to the place and just killing clones left and right it's the idea of scale it's the idea of like you're on this planet it's it's so like this scene is so closed off and like isolated that's what i don't like about it it's just it feels small just like the gravel pit but that's a problem that (laughs) Yes, that's a problem indicative of the show as a whole. I cannot – I wouldn't mind if this show was grandiose and then you have like a little moment like that and it feels kind of jarring. The, that is a problem with the show at large and I can't attack the specific moment for that. But, but this – go ahead. Th- that one scene that you're mentioning does lead credence to 
when I left you, I was only the learner. Now I am the master. Because what he did was he learned from that lesson. That's what you're going to get at on the sixth episode. Well, yeah, no, the whole point is, like I said, I think what's going to happen, but again, I think it's going to be the idea of learning the right lesson versus the wrong lesson in that Anakin's going to learn, well, Darth Vader is going to learn the lesson of the all, again, it's going to be the same thing about Vader's the bad guy through and through. Vader's learning from this is going to be, I have to snuff out Kenobi once and for all. The notion of the the fear leads to ha- fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. Where Obi Wan's learning from the situation is there, you can't fight rage. If you fight rage, it's going to be a never ending battle. So how do you fight rage? It's by taking a step back from it, and that's what it's going to be. It's go- it's going to be a very similar thing to what he does in in A New Hope. It's going to be him kind of uh, disappearing through a trap door, so to speak, not literally that and that's where obviously vader's gonna sit there and think aha i won and again i would imagine that a week from now we it's gonna 110 percent recontextualize the a new hope duel a hundred percent it had it's gonna do that on probably hopefully numerous numerous layers at the very least it's going to explain why vader like we've all it's become a meme now the notion of why vader stepped on the cape like, I don't know about you, Joe, but when you watched that film back in your childhood, uh, the only question you had walking out of the cinema was that day, why did he step on the cape? That, that was the only thing that came out of your mind. You were just jumping around the house that afternoon, just jumping on every single rug, carpet, drape that you could possibly find because that's Actually, all that mattered from Star Wars, right? I'm, I'm not that old. Uh, this, that, that movie came out a year before I was born. Hey, hey, I, hey, I didn't say no, 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 no. For I the record, on the record. I Joe has on no. The rec- Joe has no visible gray hair for the record, so he could no, not have I, seen Star Wars in theaters. I wanted on record. I didn't say that. I didn't say Joe was there in 1977. I said when you were a kid watching this, I you could have watched it yesterday afternoon for an example, Joe, and you could have been doing this. Maybe even pulling on a, a fantastic wool over our eyes this entire time. I did not say the year. I said when you were a child. Zenger still technically is a child. <laughs> Zenger just uh, winked at the camera. For the fantastic uh, gag for a audio, um, audio medium. <laughs> Anytime. I do have some follow-up stuff, though. Chris, if I may direct um, your attention to the following facts. Uh, the Annihilator was one of the superstar destroyers and it was captured by pirates yes that's that's an interlude in the aftermath books so it was captured by pirates so there is now two the arbiter was pushed into a black hole and destroyed from halo um so i love keith david (laughs) (laughs) The, the other one uh it is also mentioned uh that the new republic had captured three star destroyers Two of them, the admirals had surrendered their vessel while the third one was stolen by the New Republic. It was undergoing repairs during the time of the books. Um, it is also pointed out to Sloan that five other Star Destroyers had been destroyed in combat because the rebels took advantage of poor ship, I mean, poor maneuverability of the Super Star Destroyers as well as them being understaffed due to the Empire's losses. Okay, wonderful. Also, you are forgetting about the Emperor's flagship, the Eclipse, as well. 
Thereby, I have mentioned yeah. several named superstar destroyers. And, and the Eclipse was even a legend star, superstar destroyer, right? Which it was a ridiculous, like, giant one that had, like, a laser on the front of it and all this stuff. Uh, they never actually say what it looks like. They just say it's his it's his personal superstar destroyer. So. Uh, okay, so on yeah. the subject of superstar destroyers, I'm sure Zinger, you have seen the recently trending within the last month fan film called X Wing. Please hold. Okay, so I'm, I'm not gonna watch it yeah, right well, now it's, in the it's, background it's, or anything. It's only it's only it's only five minutes, but there is a superstar destroyer in it. But uh, have any of you guys seen that? I have not. No. Oh, okay. Well, basically, there was like a reasonably trending fan film called X Wing, and that came out three weeks ago, and um, it's fully CGI. It's probably I'm oh, guessing this actually looks okay. I'm guessing it's using the Unreal Engine, but you know, the, but this is what I this is the kind of thing that bothers me when we look talk about this show in terms of like scope and scale. It's like this was made by two or three nerds in a basement and i have two or three nerds <laughs> that do these kind of videos by the way yeah and i mean it's got i'll give you their link in a second you know it's got superstar destroyer oh my god this is amazing it oh is amazing it's kind of amazing why do you have to tell him about this now it's no, all in atmosphere back to- oh my god this is awesome why did you have to tell him about this? Why did you have to introduce him to something like this during a during it, a recording? It's relevant. It's relevant. Zanger, just mute yourself while you watch it. We'll get back to you. Just let me finish. Okay. I'm, I'm you're gonna let me finish. All right. <laughs> mute yourself. All right. Good. So the my point my only point of bringing it up is that, you know, like all the dankus is like Star Wars theory, and everybody was talking about this when it when it came out. And it's just sure the glaringly fan film aspects of it are the dialogue. And the way the human characters look, because, you know, it was animated by three dudes. But the fact that the scale of this, these sort of in-atmosphere space battles on course, it's on Coruscant. It's basically... Oh, God, it is. It's, it's like, it's like a, it's, think post-Return of the Jedi. You know, it's something that happened in Galactic Battlegrounds. Imagine the Rebellion taking back Coruscant post-Return of the Jedi. That's what you're seeing here. And, you know, it's done convincingly well and it's very engaging and it's almost like the camera sort of floats around between ship to ship and it doesn't really cut that much and you sort of if you want a piece of dialogue what it does is the camera flies into the cockpit of an x-wing and you see the pilot it's talking. pretty cool it's pretty good right it's so pretty good. And i don't even have audio i'm just just watching it Right and not, and and think about this like the three of you didn't even know this this dropped right and it's like there's nothing in Kenobi anything like this. And would you, if you saw a sequence like this in Kenobi, would you say that it looked cheap? It's amazing what these, uh, what what they did, considering. But if Disney had done this, it would have been like, uh, come on, guys, we know you can do a little bit better than this. They don't. But the thing is, they don't even they don't even have the audacity to like step anywhere near something like this. That's what I'm talking about. Like, this is like that's why comparable to Patty Jenkins was taken out of a trunk for they're preparing for this. That's what they're saving all their dollars for is for that. Well, the same thing happened with Star Trek. If you if you look, there was a fan film called Battle of Axnar. And I remember this, that I saw that it was like a 65 minute trailer, but they made it like a history channel documentary. 
And this thing was absolutely <gasps> And it was amazing. And Paramount sued him. Because Zanger, they were like, it, hold on, hold on, Joe. Zanger just saw the Superstar Destroyer continue. Yeah, I did. Oh my god, that's awesome. So Paramount sued these guys and they they tied they tied them up in, in legal issues for like five to six years so they would halt production of it because they couldn't make they they said that they couldn't make any any money off of this. Yeah, they could raise money for the film, but they couldn't make any money off of it. And it just slowly died. I think they did maybe a thirteen minute film of it. I think that's all they could do. But meanwhile, they had like all these Star Trek actors that were on there. I want to say that this is based off of something in one of the books. Cause I swear they talked about like, um, this being able to be like that. They had one under the ground on Coruscant or that it blasted off from Coruscant. Also, um, I don't know if this is how canon this is, but uh, ships aren't supposed to be able to jump to hyperspace within the atmosphere of planets. Unless Han Solo does it or it's in the sequel trilogy. Because exactly. it's pointed out in the books and stuff that that's like something that either takes a phenomenal amount of calculation to do because it's like you have to account for like the planet's magnet. I mean, the planet's gravity well and all this other stuff. And it- didn't didn't Calrissian Endor do that, too, in Rogue One? Yeah, sure. I don't remember that. But uh, he does the, that on Jeddah when Jeddah's getting blowed up. But yes, he did. Sure. Uh, by the way, check out Skyforge. Um, I mean, you you guys can check it out. Anyone can check it out. I highly recommend watching Skyforge. That is somebody I know that does all those. Okay, uh, so uh, Joe, your Joe, your Star Trek fan film comments are not lost on me. Of God's End Man is fantastic, um, but but my point of bringing that up was merely the fact that um, y- you know they there's just literally they could throw fifty nerds at a sequence like that, and they could they could add it into the Kenobi show, and they don't. And you have these sequences like Kenobi gets in the Rebel base on on Jim Beam, and he's like. And he walks around and he talks to all the guys in the RPG scenario. He's like, oh, what what we got to talk to Rogan about? What do we got to talk to Camille Nanjiani about? And he, and he trusts them with all these crazy things and their survival of all the humans in this, in this little base. And it just, the lack of severity with which they view the scenario is what bothers me. I feel like even in Rogue One, it's like, I think Rogue One is like the way that it is because um zach help me out with this you're you're a hollywood production following kind sure. of guy what's the name of the guy who saved rogue one he was involved um, in tony gilroy. yeah tony gilroy i feel like he was just like listen he came in there he's like listen i'm gonna do whatever i want and it's gonna make this good and you guys are not gonna bother me while i do it and that's <laughs> and that's why rogue one is the way that it is and i feel like there's the 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 presentation of tension, severity, importance, dire situations are are significant enough that you believe it. This does not have that. These people on this Jim Beam base are not worried about whether they're going to survive or not. They're just not. I don't believe it for a minute. So that's a problem. It's a directing problem. I don't care what you say about how great Deborah Chow is. There's weird stuff going on directing wise in this show 
and it's distracting. That leads to an overarching thing. It's like you, you see these people that, that produce these fan films where basically almost, you know, they're doing it on their free time. Just imagine how awesome it would be if they had the full backing of a studio. What are these people in these studios thinking? You know, you, you can sit there and you can get the next great movie. You can revitalize a franchise by just getting some of these people that have this passion for it. And I'm not saying that you can constantly use them because after a while, they're going to get into that whole cyclical thing of, you know, it's it, they're going to get numb to it. But those first time when they sit there and they have the reins to it, yet would it be risky? Yes, but it's also risky putting something in the hands of J.J. Abrams. I think it's because like a sequence like that X-Wing fan film that Zinger just watched <laughs> has like, if you say as, as, as Lucasfilm, this is five minutes of uh kenobi part five it has a preposterously exorbitant price tag attached to it in that environment whereas what you're seeing in that fan film does not but it has probably five times the amount of uh production time to create it as a fan film which means if you add more people to it who can do the job that you can decrease the amount of time if you have five people that are sitting there doing that if you have people that are skilled in it and can do it and they have a mock-up of what they're supposed to do, you know, you, you sit there and you, you go to where the – go to who's who's actually doing it and who's actually succeeding at it instead of sitting there and seeing who do we have on the roster that could possibly do something like this. Because if you sit there and you look at Axnar as, as an example, you sit there and you look at these people that, you know – made a production on their own had actually was able to get the actors on their own and actually be able to pull off something like that. But if you haven't seen it, please, you need, that's something that you need to watch because it was amazing. Even the one that was a, it was the prelude to Axnar where they show you the behind the scenes. That was amazing. You've never seen anything like that in a Star Trek show where they actually go through the history of, all of the starships that they made, the battle with the Klingons, everything like that. And then you sit there and you you look at, you know, what was the last Star Trek with Nemesis or even the J.J. Abrams ones. If only Nemesis were the last Star Trek, Joe. But doesn't this all kind of boil down to the fact that the people, like it's like anything, a, like a bunch of fans are going to make something more passionate than a bunch of studio executives that are doing this because it's something within their roster to play with. that make it, it's It's a... It's the George Lucas thing from the uh, Charlie Rose interview. It's 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 a oh god a horse in the stable. But do but but do you think techn but do you think the accessibility of the technology makes this sort of laughable at some point? Like I'm so tired of seeing seeing scenes in this show practically lit by LED lightsabers. Like I've had those for ten years. I get it. Like how about think about it beyond beyond the practical i but again i think it comes down to just the look at the current stewardship of the walt disney company like anybody who knows their theme park knowledge knows how cost-cutting bob chapek is also look this is a company that even in the darkest of times was fueled by the theme park revenue and then for what three months plus did not have any revenue outside of Disney plus. 
I, I think it's a combination of they are in cost cutting mode right now. And on top of that, I, I think they just they're they're trying to cut corners. I, I, it has to be that because. But if they are going to be cutting corners, the best way to do it would be on approaching these people that do these fan films that are actually good and get engagement because they do it on a shoestring budget. But that's not the thing, though. They don't want passionate people. They want J.J. Abrams. They Think about that. How many, how many people have they fired over the last 10 years? They don't want passionate people. What they want – think about it. And this goes down to Marvel too, like anything in Hollywood. They, like, they want – a script that's generated by like an AI that's watched 10,000 hours of Olive Garden commercials, plug in all the trending topics, spits out a script, hands it to somebody that really doesn't have much of a creative vision, but will sit there, keep the schedule on track and everything on budget. And they have something. Like, again, this goes back to even to the, I think Chris would probably like it at the very least, the Red Lighter Media thing about Kenobi. It's that notion of, they, it's just like, think about it. Look, and I'm stealing this from them point by point, And maybe Chris will insert the audio if I'm able to like give him the exact time points from red letter media. But just look at how movies like work for the last hundred years. Is that like the idea is you, you, when somebody, when you buy a ticket to a movie and let's assume you haven't, you haven't seen the movie already, they got your money. The point is, is that they want the final product to be good. So when you go talk to your friends and family, you recommend the movie, thus bolsters your revenue. Otherwise, you basically just, it's the notion of you, you got to you pull the fast one on someone once, but you're not going to get it again. With TV shows, the thing, the model became, oh, we have to have, think about it. You have to have things interesting so people stay throughout the entire hour-long program and they watch that, those commercials and the ad revenue is generated. And then now that we're in a thing where it's streaming, think about it. You pay your $8 a month. They don't care if you're watching it or not. You paid your $8. So whether you're watching Obi-Wan Kenobi, The Book of Boba Fett, uh, Ms. Marvel, it doesn't matter. They've already got your money. The quality can be subpar. They just need basically the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, looking at it, it's absolute most cynical. It's just a poster or artwork they can put as an ad on Google that says, Obi-Wan Kenobi now streaming on Disney+. Plus. That's what it comes down to. It, it doesn't matter if it's good or not. It's a notion that as long as it gets someone to sign up for a month, it doesn't matter if they watch five minutes or five hours of it. Uh, but, the categories. But there's a negative. There's like there has to be some negative to like the general uh, reception. Like, for example, I haven't listened to your Cinemodities episode about uh, Jurassic Apocalypse Part 3. But like I like it's like everything I've heard from everyone is that it's it's embarrassing and there and i just can't you know like that is not the narrative coming out of the kenobi show well so because like, well because okay this is the difference between kenobi and uh, dinosaur six is that dinosaur six the problem with that is that like okay i i read an interesting article on that where it's like jurassic world comes out in 2015 makes 
like $1.6 billion. And back in the summer of 2015, the story was, oh, Universal has to be thinking of spinoffs, just all the stuff they can do. Like they made so much money. Like how could they not? And a lot of people are pointing to the success of Jurassic World 7 in that it's the idea of Universal Studios did not overexploit the brand. Like outside of what? Uh, Dinosaur Boogaloo Fallen Kingdom and Camp Cretaceous on Netflix, they really didn't do anything to degrade the brand. Like, yeah, what? is, is Dominion very hollow? Sure. But like it's it's a dinosaur movie that has dinosaurs in it. It does the bare minimum. Like it doesn't promise any lofty, oh God, the notions as to what it's supposed to be. Um, it's not trying to be the Jurassic Park 1993 all over again. Whereas Kenobi, it was the only thing it was sold as as rematch of the century Vader Obi-Wan. And if you look at the very, very limited amount of merchandise that's out there and the even less marketing materials, that's what it's going for. Like that's like think about it. Like there was really no great Obi-Wan Kenobi TV series marketing. Like as much as we laugh at the sequel trilogy, at least it had some pretty interesting marketing moments. With this, it's ju- it's just something to make people sign up for Disney Plus. It's no better than She-Hulk. It's no better than Moon Knight. It's it's just there for someone to go. Oh yeah, I liked you and McDonald. It's only eight bucks. If I don't like it, I'll cancel. Like it's just it's it's the equivalent of just like a Costco sample. Like oh, here are these little cocktail francs. That's what it is, and and that's the problem. That was my biggest fear about after the rise of Skywalker was that this was going to happen. Like as much as we dislike, well, not we, but just the culture is to allege to dislike the sequel trilogy. At least the money was on the screen. I, I take the most ardent hate hater of the last Jedi and the rise of Skywalker. At no point do you look at those two movies and say, man, they really cut a corner on the production of like the physical craft and production of this. It's just it, it's too obvious with Kenobi the corners that are being cut. That's what but, that's what's getting to me the most. But but also look at it this way too. It's and this is the devil's advocate side of the argument because a couple of days ago at work, me being the uh, definitive Star Wars person in the county, people obviously come up to me and they tell me their Star Wars opinions, and they're like, it was a very similar thing to what Chris was saying. They're like, oh man, the show sucks, and they're like, oh, the dialogue is so hokey, it looks so cheap. And I'm like, have you ever watched the original Star Wars? Like, I, I mean, I'm not talking about the uh, Vaseline over the lens that Lucas did in the 90s and Disney did with McClunky. Like, you have a moment in the original Star Wars where Han picks off the, the TIE fighter during the trench run and Vader in a cockpit that only has a viewport at the front looks to the what right and goes, what? Like, it's it's always been goofy. And that's why like, I'm willing to forgive – that's why I'm so willing to forgive Star Wars for the most part in that it's always been goofy. And the problem is that they are – oh, God. They're just letting it all be goofy now, whereas you had the peculiar moments in the sequel trilogy. This is just them saying, you know what? We're going to treat this on the budgetary level as how Lucas always saw it. 
a Saturday morning cereal. Like Joe said, you saw the ships being pulled with fishing line and you had cardboard sets where the doors opened and closed. So in a weird way, it might be coming full circle. It's just disappointing considering that Lucas made such a big point of walking away from that toward, toward the end of his tenure with Star Wars. There's no fishing line in A New Hope. No, no, they, they, they did not do that. But think about it. The Saturday morning serials is what Lucas was supposed to be going after with Star Wars. Sure, he wanted to elevate it beyond that. And that was the whole point of the special editions was to, oh, the, the effects at the time weren't up to what my vision was. Well, it was elevated from the jump because like they did a few shots and Lucas looked at them like at these hippies hanging out in the ILM warehouse. And he was like, listen, uh, all that stuff you just spent the last six months on, that's going straight in the garbage and you're going to start over and you do better. And uh, that's you well, know that's... part of the reason why A New Hope was as well received as it was effects wise. And that's why you have things like the Dykstra flex and you have the John Dykstra's whole hilarious uh, drama where he started using similar techniques on Battlestar Galactica and Lucas wasn't crazy about it because it was developed for Star Wars and all that. I mean, like, I don't know. It's probably been a while since most people on the, on the show and listening have actually watched a decent quality version of the original Attack on the Death Star, but it didn't look like garbage when it first came out. All, it looked real because it was all models and it was all basically miniatures, but they had the small cameras. They went into a trench. They did it that way. I will admit I have the blue. I mean, not the blue, right? The DVD versions, the uncut ones where it was like the original 1977. There are a few scenes. If you watch it in high definition where you may or may not see a string or two every now and then. And that's great. But of course they fixed it since then. I do want to point out something to Zach for marketing. So, how many of you have seen anything for Star Wars Visions in a store? I saw some stuff at Celebration at the Bandai There's stuff at Target. Good Lord, Target's become Uh the home of Star Wars Uh Visions. Yes. When did Star Wars Visions come out, Zach? Nine months ago. September. Was nine months ago? ago? Yeah, yeah, nine months ago. Okay, good, good job, good job. Kudos. Um, a point to Gryffindor. Uh, so here's the thing. I don't think Star Wars knows how to market itself correctly. Sometimes they sometimes. do a terrible job sometimes. at it. Sometimes, a lot of the time. You know, most what's, of the time. You know, what, what, I mean, weirdly, who knows what visions is aside from me right now, Joe. Weirdly, yes. I did a I did like an Instagram story of the Bandai booth of the Visions figures, and that has been like the most popular thing on the Knights of Vader because Instagram. Because it's an underrated thing, and you all hated it. I didn't hate it. You you have oh, to right. watch something to hate it. <laughs> Joe enjoyed it. Chris, you hated it. Zach, watch it. I like the Elder. That's that a good one. one. A good My one. favorite Star Wars is of the continuity flavor. God forbid someone has imagination these days and goes outside of that little box you put yourself in. The point is, this was also pointed out in a um, pitch meeting episode where they were talking about how they held off on doing Grogu merchandise because they didn't want that spoiled and how much money that lost Disney in the end was that they they waited to put out that 
that merchandise and stuff. Once again, showing that they do not know how to properly merchandise this stuff. I guarantee you, in like five months, once Kenobi's done, most of us have forgotten about it. We're watching Cassian Hot Plate or whatever his name is. Mm. We're going to be getting merchandise for Kenobi. Welcome Boba Fett. Then. We're still. I'm still waiting. My bulb. My my. Uh, oh God. Book of Boba Fett toys. Right, Chris. Like what? The <laughs> as Chris holds up his Star Wars droids Black Series. Slowly holds up his Star Wars. Oh, for the record, if we're gonna hold up Star Wars toys within arm's reach. I figured this one's more applicable than ever. The uh, Hayden. I don't know if it's in focus. The Hayden Christensen Black Series. We're doing this. Okay, cool. Because you know it's always in arm's reach for me. Put your lightsaber down. Nobody wants to see it. Yes, a giant light. The actual size Porg. That that is so 2017. Well, my Black Series droids figure is from a series from 1985, so I think that took the longest to come out. And Joe's like, all I got was a rock. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Oh wait, hold on a second. Nope, that's a little... Even though even though the card says droids came out in 1983, Hasbro. It's a Vader koozie. That's pretty good, but I think my uh, beer koozie is somewhat more edgelordish. <laughs> okay. With all this being said, is there anything else we want to talk about this? Um, what did you think of the uh, one final point I just want to address? What did we think of the Reva versus Vader fight? Oh my! A fight implies that there were two people involved. Zenger, I have to ask. Much like how you describe Star Wars romances over the years, how would you describe it? Like. In relation, how would you describe the Vader-Reva fight? I would describe the Vader-Reva fight as if you took said Hayden Christensen action figure, I got a baseball bat and a mallet and just went to town on the goddamn thing. She was so outclassed. They made it so blatantly obvious, too, how just outclassed she was by Vader. It was a flex on a like if you had top flexes and shows by characters that were completely showing off this was one not only did he just pull a freaking spaceship out of the sky and then rip the hole open with a quick time event he then aced the quick time event against her where he didn't even use his own lightsaber like that's how beneath him he felt that fight was until the point where he should have killed her when he had the chance he didn't even he felt it was beneath him to even kill her. And the fact that he knew she was a Padawan from there. The fact that he dropped that on her and then dropped, oh, by the way, the Inquisitor is still alive and we're just going to leave you here because what's the point of even killing you? I like how he took his pin back, though. That was kind of... <laughs> It was kind of like a, hey, screw you, Luke, I'm back. I, I'm going to take that. I, I, I like that, but then the added salt in the wound of where were they where they said goodbye to her by basically going Grand Inquisitor, mocking her. Well, you know, th that pin was a celebration exclusive, so he had to get it back. Yeah. <laughs> One of a kind. I will say, I, I kind of ate that up. I know some nerds on the internet aren't happy with it, but like, well, even when Vader takes her lightsaber and like breaks the part into the two pieces, which I didn't think was a thing that you could do with Inquisitor lightsabers. It's Vader. He can do whatever he wants. Well, yes. Yes, he can. Oh, no, wait. It does have two crystals. 
Okay, the point be the point it, be it does have two crystals. That's great. That's fine. I love the fact that like watching Vader dual wield lightsabers is something I never knew I needed in my life, but now kind of like I kind of like that as like a visual representation. Like I just I just think that's neat. It was a cool little fight again. Was it shot a little too close? Was it a little too like jerky in some of the motions? But just watching her do like the stupid thing that the inquisitor lightsabers do where they spin around and he just uses the force to slow it down with his hand. I'm like like I said there there was a certain level of like oh god, adolescent delight to to this part, to part 5 that was refreshing compared to just how kind of oh god dark and gloomy the first three parts were like there's a there's a certain love there's a little more even though it still feels cheap most of the time there's energy in these latter episodes that the first three episodes didn't have but the is the energy earned from the first three episodes i think so yes i do think that the first three parts are trying to build upon something and again i think reva being the perfect example of that like her moment where obi-wan goes to surrender himself and they're kind of talking through the sealed door she does she is doing such a phenomenal job moses ingram in that moment i'm like okay like clearly again i didn't at no point in those first three parts do i think she was a bad actress it's just a very hammy performance and a lot of times like again like anyone who's listened to cinematis heard has heard me say i never blame the actor i blame the director because it's the director's job to rein in a hammy performance and clearly after what we saw her do when she's talking to kenobi through the door this all of that is meant to be over the top on purpose to get a response out of not just her victims but her co-workers and so when she does have those moments where she's being vulnerable because Kenobi is, it's nice. Like we don't get a lot of that from our villains in Star Wars. So was, I find that yeah. refreshing. I like this is how damaged I am as a person, Zach. Like when she, that was great. Like I did enjoy that scene, but then when she like cut open the gate to Helm's Deep with like one single swipe, all I could think of was like how much work John Williams put in to make it seem like Qui-Gon was actually having difficulty cutting open that door on the Trade Federation droid control ship. Like literally he's like, "Oh man, this is like this is like a foot and a half deep, so I'm going to have to like hold my lightsaber in it for like 25 minutes to open it." What do Sith feed on? Fear. Yeah, but that shouldn't directly juice up their lightsabers though. Like she shouldn't be able to cut through that. Like they were shooting at that door, like Last Jedi style, for like a few minutes before she just went up and cut it like it was a piece of paper. I okay. That I, I, there's certain needs of the story. I don't play that. That's that's BS. Like they need to not. Like they're so close. They could just not do like three of those things, and it'd be great. To be fair, the Trade Federation door was like a, probably a brand new Luker Hulk ship and probably like top of like top of the like, oh, God, cutting edge, all of this. And Qui-Gon probably was taking his time. Like he there wasn't thinking about there was no severity to get in at that point. It's like, OK, these Federation fight types are cowards. John Williams disagrees. <laughs> I don't doubt that, but that was also a madman that had been sitting on ideas for twenty, almost 20 years, and he was doing what he wanted, and this was probably somebody in a Disney boardroom that probably thought about this for 30 seconds and said, okay, next. Speaking of the I, – I have what they went to next. Guy Ritchie will direct a Disney live-action Hercules oh, movie. I, I'm scrolling through stuff, and I saw it, and I'm like, why? Why? I'm not, are you surprised? I mean, I like Greg Guy Ritchie, but why? 
Are you surprised? Never mind. All right. Okay. So with that being said, is there anything else you want to talk about this final part? Or do we want any, make any final predictions other than Vader stepping on a cape? If if there's any interaction between Luke and anybody else, that's canon breaking for me. Joe, I'm waiting for Qui Gon to come back as a Force ghost because I think Obi Wan's earned it. I think he's got he's got the juice now. He's got the mojo back. I think he's gonna make contact with uh, Qui Gon. Does this happen before or after his confrontation with Vader? I want to say it's before. He's gonna give him focus. He's gonna give him advice and what to do. That's when he knows he's he's ready. Mister Porteous. My favorite part of part five is. It's all maybe it's the third last shot of the episode where it hangs on Kenobi's face as he's trying to decide whether or not he should be super worried about whatever it is that he's feeling. It just hangs on him for like like longer than than is more real estate than is given to a lot of stuff in this show, and he looks genuinely confused and fried and out of it and not sure if he really needs to be worried about whatever it is that he's feeling to to be fair i i did watch this at like 1 a.m but like for whatever reason that shot where it hangs out on kenobi while he's like what am i feeling right now what am i worried about that really stuck with me and he looked a little bit like alec guinness in that moment to me when he was just struggling to figure out what he's feeling as they escaped I don't like that Revan knows about Luke because I don't think Disney's brave enough to kill her. So it's like, why do I got to think about who knows about Luke after the series ends in one episode? Because they're not going to kill her because they're giant babies. So why do I have to wonder why where she is knowing about Luke after this? That's where I'm. That's where I'm at going into part six. All right, that that's fair enough. Um, as somebody who I will say, as someone who's read the spoilers. The Reva Vader confrontation at the end of this was not in the spoilers, yet uh, what Chris and Zenger brought up is explicitly mentioned. So it's if if it happens the way it's supposed to, it will be a very interesting conversation. What? <laughs> <laughs> All righty. With that being said, so concludes this episode of Knights of Vader. Type in Knights of Vader in the Facebook and you will find us there waiting for you at KOV Podcast on Instagram. Come check out Chris's pictures of the Star Wars Vision figures from Celebration. If you like what you hear, please rate us on Spotify and or iTunes. We would certainly help us in boosting our ranking in the stats and whatnot. Thank you to An Inspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. Check the show notes to hear more from them. And if you want to hear more from me, go to the Cinemalities podcast where Chris said our latest episode is Dinosaur 6, which, Chris, you've not listened to it, but there is practically no dinosaurs or fake talk. Like, all, like I think it's mentioned once as an offhand like running gag, but it is not a focal point of the discussion. And maybe by the time this episode debuts, our episode on 2002 Scooby-Doo will be out. So Amazing. Dinosaurs actually existed, Rob. You get over it. You stop. <laughs> I think Rob's saving it for the inevitable Dinosaur 7. Um, but anyway, though, when you are not listening to us on here, Chris, where do people find you? You can find me at the Chris Porteous on Instagram where I have actually started posting some photos here and there again. So you should check that out. And you should also follow uh, at KOV podcast on Instagram where you can 
be alerted when we have new episodes on that occasional basis. Joe, I once again, what episode are we up to now of your own exclusive podcast? Uh, episode four, we just we just put out recently, and that was a what Corey doesn't know the topic on, where I surprise him with some guests and we talk about a topic that Corey enjoys. It's a what of combo convo wheel of convo special. <laughs> Um, and we also did one on on uh, food, <laughs> which was the third episode. Interesting, interesting. D- does the co- does the food topic relate to combos like those little snack, those little pretzel snacks with the cheese inserted into it? No, no, we didn't. We didn't touch on the combos, but there was an interesting story about starbursts and um, chicken with dipping it into wonton soup. So it was it was an interesting interesting listen. Interesting. Alrighty, Zenger, what's going on, Zeng This World? Uh, we just had an episode discuss. Uh, actually, that was two episodes now. Probably almost three by the time you're listening to this. Uh, we had an episode discussing our favorite gods in the world of pop culture. Very interesting topic. Really enjoyed it. Um, I was robbed of several different picks for that one. So, hmm. But we also had a discussion on uh, The Boys Diabolical, which is another anthology animated series done by different anime studios which if you're a fan of visions and the boys i'd definitely go check that out the episode and of course the show too and uh this week i will be talking about elden ring which i put over 170 hours into cool still have not touched fallen order oh but i won't have because i officially platinumed uh elden ring so i technically have no need to play it again thanks chris all right you can play fallen order now but, but you know what the um the guest I'm having on for the episode is going to um tear me a new one for not playing more Fallen Order because it was my New Year's resolution to him to actually play Fallen Order. What? And it's now um yeah halfway through the year and I haven't touched it so. God, God damn it, Zanger! No, it's not that long. It's it's not Zanger. It really isn't. Oh my god. Good night, but not goodbye. And as always, may the force be with you.